All right, guys, welcome back. We are going to finish something, a story that we started a while ago. Um, and this is the first uh, thing we're going to finish, I guess, besides individual articles and stuff. But pretty exciting stuff. We are reading An Old Guy Hired Me to Manage His Life-Size Dollhouse. And it's about time I got the fuck out of here. This is the final part. Thanks for coming. Enjoy. I didn't have to think twice about finding my light. The moment Mrs. Claymore's voice entered my thoughts, I knew where to look. And no, it, wasn't in, it was not inside of me. That which I was, the destructive powers I possessed, all gifts from below stemming from darkness. I had to face it. It was made of the same stuff as the bullmen around me, but I did have something they didn't. Someone. My light was not. My light was in the kid who packed my lunches for school when there were no adults around me to give a shit if I went or not. My virtue lay in the teenager that slept on the floor at the foot of my bed, preventing a slew of foster parents from entering my room in the middle of the night. Everything good and decent, every benevolent act, any selflessness on my part could all be attributed to the person that single-handedly single raised me, Ronnie. How had I missed it? So wrapped up in my own powers, so self-assured and confident in my ability to turn Bandelay on its head, if I had just taken a second of my time to focus on Ronnie, to perceive the warm glow that radiated from inside of him. I hadn't been looking. I was sedated by darkness, so tempted by the fleeting lights of the injured girls, I had made excuses, telling myself I wanted to rescue them when deep down I was just hungry for their diminished light. I would have crossed the line too. I would have given in to the bullmen if Ronnie hadn't come back for me. With Mrs. Claymore's silicone protecting my ears, I could work through all these thoughts and feelings in the span of seconds. The truth had always been there, deep down. It was just a shame that it had taken this long for me to see it. Ronnie lay on the filthy ground of the chamber, his basic green hoodie stained with blood and dirt from the rocks. He was curled in on himself, hands over his head, protecting his skull from the blows of the bullmen. The sight of it released a wave of sorrow that I had, no I had to suppress in order to help him. There wasn't much time. Mr. Claymore was bound to notice that I was no longer crumpled in a heap of agony on the ground. I had to act fast. I closed my eyes and zoned in on Ronnie, knocking into the many walls protecting his core. This was why I hadn't noticed it before. The sheer magnitude of his power, his light. He had it tucked away in a safe space, cautious to not let too much spill out. I wondered if it was a conscious effort or just a part of his nature. Let me in. I sent my thoughts straight to his, gently knocking at the door to his soul. I know what to do now. Intuitively, I knew what I was looking for and still wasn't prepared for it. It was more than a ball of light, more than flames or fireworks or a goddamn supernova out in, out in space. Even comparing it to the sun feels half-assed. Imagine all that is warm, good, radiant, and pure. Picture it growing somewhere for decades, hidden away from all that can diminish it. Visualize it as something so bright and clear that it doesn't damage the eye, but lets you see and understand everything with total confidence. A nirvana that envelops you like your favorite childhood blanket. That was Ronnie's soul. I let my darkness settle at the bottom like a makeshift coal to his boisterous flame. I channeled every last bit of draining power to boost Ronnie's light to send it bursting out of him. I opened my eyes. Those that had been attacking Ronnie now lay at his feet, their bodies contorted and suffering as the bloodied rocks fell from their hands. 
Some of the bowmen had ripped off their masks, exposing hideous burns with parts of skin bubbling from their proximity to the light. I could see they were screaming and half wished I could hear them, but Mrs. Claymore's anti-hearing aids held firmly in place, securing my mind from the noise that had so nearly driven me insane. The rest of the chanting bullmen wasted no time in turning around and dashing up the tunnel to escape. I could understand it. I was far from running to get burnt. I was too far from running to get burned, but even so, I felt all the power I had sourced from darkness shriveling up inside of me, cowering at the potency of his energy. My cousin stood tall and radiant, his skin glowing like an LED light light. His eyes were closed, and I imagined he was doing something very similar to what I did every time I tried to use my powers. He wasn't making objects fly or destroying things, but he was reducing every dark energy around him to little more than a speck of dust, rendering every sick fuck, including myself, completely impotent. I stared in awe, forgetting my surroundings, forgetting all about the very real threat of Mr. Claymore and the dying girl behind my back. When I finally came to my senses, it was already too late. I turned around to see Mr. Claymore's face inches from the dead girl's lips, breathing in the last of her essence. No, I cried out, running over without thinking. Powerless as I was in Ronnie's light, I still wished there was some way to save the girl. What happened next is hard to explain. One moment, I was just a few feet away, a few feet away from Mr. Claymore, running at him blindly with nothing but rage and guilt fueling my steps. The next thing I knew, my head snapped to the right, my neck aching as it urged my torso to rotate with it. My legs started carrying me in the other direction, and the deaf silence in my mind was broken by an unwelcome intruder. Such a pity, Lou, Mr. Claymore's voice purred in my ear. We could have been so great together. We still can, actually. We just need to take care of this little problem standing in our way. My legs bobbled along in rigid movements as I strained every muscle to fight the parasitic intruder inside my mind and limbs. My head was down, facing the ground, staring at an ancient layer of blood and dust that coated the chamber floor. The closer I got to Ronnie, the hotter my skin grew. It was a bit like falling asleep on a beach, sizzling under the rays of a vicious summer sun. Only instead of sleep, it was like I was just lying there, paralyzed, feeling every cell of my derma screaming in agony. Ronnie must have opened his eyes and seen me coming toward him. I couldn't actually see because I was sure to be blinded if I looked up while I was close to him. I felt an inkling of relief as the light in the chamber started to recede. I, we, lifted my head to look at Ronnie's concerned face mouthing something at me. I was still deaf, so I didn't understand what he was saying. My heart dropped when I felt my own mouth and tongue moving in response, making words and probably sounds I couldn't perceive. It is the weirdest feeling not knowing what message you just communicated because your brain was not in there to initiate it. Whatever Mr. Claymore had just said to Ronnie, it seemed to ease his mind. My cousin nodded in response and I saw the glow of his skin fade until we were shrouded in nothing but the dim lights of the blood rock fire. If only I still had control over my mouth to scream, I would have done so. It hit me then like a glass of water spitting on my face, splitting on my face. The ballfucker had told the bullfucker had told Ronnie to withdraw his light so he we could approach, so he we could feel our power return and my darkness swelled, mixing with Mr. Claymore's and a high inducing sensation I tried hard not to enjoy. It was like having sh sugar it was like having sugar again after sticking to a low carb diet for a year, like sex with a crush after a dry spell. My power returned in waves of pleasure and potency. It trickled down from head to toe, spreading to my fingers and toes. I still had no control over it, but it was a type of submission that felt good. 
This is a fraction of what an eternity together holds for us, Mr. Claymore teased inside my head, just one thing standing in our way. My body was only inches away from Ronnie now, arms spread wide as though going in for a hug. I saw Ronnie's face soften, relief washing over it in waves. He looked so much younger when he smiled, just like any other guy in his 20s. Gone was the man who never got to be a boy. He thought this was over. His mouth moved to say something else as Mr. Claymore raised my, our hands to Ronnie's throat. Shock froze Ronnie's face in a childlike expression of wonder. He grabbed my arms, gently tugging them away as Mr. Claymore fueled our darkness to latch my thumbs onto Ronnie's Adam, Adam's apple. Ronnie just looked bewildered. He tried to push me away as my fingernails dug into his skin, causing droplets of blood to roll, blood to roll out and smear on my fingertips. There was a hint of pain in his eyes as he struggled to breathe. He stopped pushing me away, his gaze searching my face for answers. Why are you doing this? His lips asked. His lips asked. No, my mind screamed. No, I can't do this, no matter what. Anything but this. Never this. Never Ronnie. I summoned every last bit of conscious will I had left, which was not much. Remembering Mrs. Claymore's words for my very first time facing the hygienist, I tapped into the darkness that her husband, Mr. Claymore, couldn't touch. What he was using now, it was the collective energy of Vanderley House in the underground lair of the Bullmen. There was more darkness in me that was not his, not to his to own. It wasn't easy, but I dove right in. I tapped into the lonely nights of a four-year-old spent wondering why my parents didn't want me. The dreadful disappointment of meeting young couples who took me home for a weekend to see if I was a good fit and send me back like I was some stray they were afraid would shit on the rug. I dug up everything that happened before the system matched me with a distant biological relative, a state over, transferring me to the foster home where Ronnie lived. The darkness of an abandoned child pro proved to be enough. It wasn't a lot of power, but it was enough to loosen the grasp of Ronnie's neck and pull my hands back to my own throat. Stop, Mr. Claymore's voice was lined with hatred. What are you doing? Would it kill him too? I doubted it. Either way, I could never stand by and watch someone hurt Ronnie, even if that someone was me. I kept channeling my darkness, fighting Mr. Claymore's power over my body every step of the way. He let up, controlling my legs and focused on fighting just my grasp on my own neck. I fell to the ground, my knees exploding in pain at the bad angle of the fall. My mind glazed over as every attempt of breathing brought less and less oxygen. It was a sad way to go, surrounded by darkness and silence, unable to utter a single word to the person who had made my life worth living. So this is dying, I thought, as everything went black. Sounds. Wonderfully mundane flutters of fabric shuffling and light feet treading somewhere nearby. These were the first things I noticed before the distant reality of my near-death experience caused me to half-jump into an upright position, my eyes popping open in terror. The serene Vanderlei decor welcomed me back to consciousness. I was sitting on the left half of a very large and soft canopy bed in one of the many bedrooms. A dirt-covered, disheveled Ronnie sat on a much too small chair at my side. The other half of the bed held the girl we had actually managed to save. I noted the relaxed expression on her sleeping face and the rosiness of her cheeks. Mrs. Claymore entered the room with a metal tray of bandages and scissors. Good, you're up, she said, turning to Ronnie. I told you she would just be she would be just fine. Ronnie nodded, still looking concerned as he took my right hand in his. I noticed that it felt strange. 
I pulled away to see that the silicone patch for Mrs. Claymore was gone, leaving behind a faint set of scars from the Swiss Army knife. The Army Swiss knife. I scrambled to feel my damaged ankle through my sock and found that it was much the same. The wounds had been healing underneath the silicone all along, which is probably why they had been so itchy. Mrs. Claymore made her way over to Pixie's side of the bed, sitting down gently on a free bare, on a free spot near her only arm. The mistress of Vanderlei slid a black elastic band from around her wrist, tying up her gray hair in a low ponytail. She started unwrapping the dressing of the amputation wound on Pixie's arm, and I had to look away for a moment, placing my hand back on Ronnie's. Are we safe here? I finally asked. For now, Miss Claymore replied, as she placed both hands over Pixie's shoulder, focusing on covering the flesh in doll skin. My husband is nowhere to be found, she continued after neither Ronnie nor I said anything. I can't sense him in or below Vanderlei. What the hell is this place? Ronnie asked, tightening his grasp on my hand. And why did you help us? Good questions, I thought, anticipating a vague response. Think of Vanderlei House as one of the many, many gates to hell, she said, smiling as she looked up at our expressions, or something like it. Hell is the human concept created to try and define the ancient truth of evil and good, darkness and light, white and black. They have no real definitions outside the realm of humanity. The darkness bubbling below, the light shining down on us from the sky, we call them what we like, but they are just there. One or the other is to be found in all of us, sometimes a blend of the two. I listened, feeling my emotions pucker in response. I had no doubt Mrs. Claymore spoke the truth, but it wasn't pleasant to think of myself as part of the darkness below. I shuddered, remembering the girl I had so nearly killed with my own hands. Her death was on me, if only I had... I had focused on bringing her back in time instead of listening to that awful man's seductive whispers. Mrs. Claymore finished working on Pixie's arm, leaving behind a perfectly smooth patch of silicone. She moved her hands to work on the girl's ribcage. I watched in wonder as jagged edges started shifting under the bruised skin of Pixie's chest. Her broken ribs were being healed one by one from inside her body. That doesn't explain why you took this girl from me and sent me back to save Lou. Ronnie said, then turning back to me. I would have gone anyway, but she told me you needed me and promised she would help Pixie. I didn't know if I should believe her, but I felt like I had no choice. I couldn't risk losing you. I felt gratitude tingling in the corner of my eyes. It had been such a long time, long and emotional day. There were so, still so many questions, but it was such a relief to be alive and to be with Ronnie and Pixie and even Mrs. Claymore herself. My role in all this is hardly heroic and mostly complacent, Mrs. Claymore paused, considering her words. It's a conundrum of sorts. My powers are different from Lou's, in that they have always been helped to heal and beautify. The ugliest places, the worst wounds, ever since I was a child, I could make them beautiful again. Unfortunately, the power only came to me where unspeakable cruelty manifested itself. Places like Vanderlei, with death at every corner and mutilated corpses lounging about in armchairs. I took in a sharp breath. Had I really expected something different? Maybe not, but I had hoped. There was a very real part of me that had pictured me in non-doll Cynthia sitting somewhere a few months down the line, talking through things, laughing and crying together, dissecting the horrors of Vanderlei and comfortable companionship. 
I could still have that with Pixie. Maybe if the PTSD of her ordeal ever let her live normally again. So you take the bodies of the girls they use for the rituals and you make them into dolls? It sounded so sick, but also made sense. A very twisted, fucked up sort of sense. The problem with having powers was the itch to use them, and I could see how Mrs. Claymore had given in to the desire. I've always wanted to be a mother. Mrs. Claymore's face lost its composure, a crinkled sadness pulling her features down for a second before she caught herself. That's another thing you will learn about the Dark Ones, Lou. We are born from darkness, from a void, and thus we cannot harbor new life. The silly boys that run around in mass below ground are convinced that they can interbreed with light to bring about the birth of an almighty sun. They are powerless past the gates of places like Vanderlee, you see. That's why the world goes on as it does, but they'll never let up. They will keep trying to breed with a carrier. The world over, women are dying for this cause, and there's not a thing I can do about it but dress up their remains in pretty outfits and play house. I almost wanted to ask Mrs. Claymore to see Cynthia and the girls one last time as they really were. Then I thought better of it, unable to stand the sight of another dead woman that day. Still the gruesome visuals of the parlor room in all its decaying certainty weighed heavy on my conscience. Ask one last question before I'm done with your friend, Mrs. Claymore said, draining the bruising from one of Pixie's broken toes. It would be best for you to leave then. I advise you don't come back, but even if you do, you will find this house abandoned. I have no reason to stay here now that my husband is gone. I don't particularly, particularly care for the man, and I'd rather go somewhere he can't find me. There were so many questions. I wanted to know more about the bullman and Mr. Claymore, about the powers I possess, as well as Ronnie's ability to dull them. In the end, I just asked what I cared about most. Will I see you again? I asked, hopefully, despite, hopeful despite everything. There's so much I still don't know or understand. We may cross paths if you come looking for darkness again, but I hope your kin convince, can convince you otherwise. She nodded at Ronnie with a soft smile. He is your best chance at doing things right, Lou. Never forget that. Ronnie looked down, embarrassed. I smiled, marveling at his ability to witness and hear everything and still remain the calmest presence in the room. Pixie stirred awake as Mrs. Claymore finished up, taking the tray as she walked out the room. Predictably, the poor girl experienced a severe mental breakdown as the reality of her survival settled around her. I tried to take her hand, but she shuddered at, shuddered at my touch, shrinking from me, her wails threatening to deafen me all over again. Ronnie had better luck in approaching her, and she actually let him wrap her in her, his arms, where she sobbed into his chest until finally she calmed down enough for us to make our way out of Vanderlei. Mrs. Claymore was gone by then. I can't tell you how good it felt to breathe the air outside as we walked away from Vanderlei and its many secrets for the last time. The sun was setting in the sky, and I had to remind myself that only a few days had passed since I'd first stepped foot in that house. It felt like an age. I had faced so many fears, discovered so much about myself and Ronnie, and opened my mind to a plethora of horrors. A couple of months had passed since then. It never made the official news, but whispers about Vanderlee spread throughout spread through the area like wildfire. A beautiful mansion with eleven dead bodies inside. Weird underground chambers with more death to find. No official owner to be thought of or ever seen. Young, attractive victims. People couldn't stop talking about it in class, and criminal justice lectures were packed with freshmen wanting to ask professors if it was true. Conspiracy theories flared up all over campus, and I marveled at how tame they sounded compared to what had actually happened. 
Pixie went on to stay with Ronnie after everything. She still hasn't moved out, and I don't think she will in the near future. I haven't pried, but judging by the smiles they exchange when I come over for dinner, I think they make each other happy. Ronnie and I only recently breached the subject of me almost killing him. He says he feels guilty for believing for a moment that I was the one doing it. That's just Ronnie for you, feeling bad for not assuming possession in the face of death. I asked about Mr. Claymore, asked if you remember seeing where the guy went, but Ronnie doesn't. His eyes were closed when the man entered my mind, and he just seemed to disappear after that. I guess consuming that girl's light gave him enough power to possess my body from a distance, but honestly, I don't even know. A part of me wants to say goodbye for good, but this doesn't really feel like the end, does it? More like an interim. For now, I will focus on school, on making new friends, and maintaining a close relationship with Ronnie and Pixie. I still dream about Vanderlei, about Mr. Claymore in particular. His eyes always twinkling, beckoning me to join him in darkness. I won't, though, no matter how much I sometimes want to. One thing bothers me, though. There's a frat house on campus that has been full, awfully quiet ever since the whole dollhouse ordeal. None of the members have been showing up to class, and other students have noticed. I'm not the one for idle gossip, but it felt meaningful. Yesterday I was having lunch with Ronnie and Pixie in an off-campus diner and came home at the worst possible time for parking. The lots were packed and I had to get a spot a couple blocks away. On my way back to the dorms, I passed the frat house and noticed something that made the dinner in my stomach churn with nausea. There was no doorbell anywhere near the entrance, only a familiar bronze bull's head for a knocker mounted on the large blue door.